Hello and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast. We're the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knudsen, and Kelly Coyne. Kelly is off this week. We are the authors of The Urban Homestead and Making It, Radical Home Act for a Post-Consumer World. Our guest this week on episode 37 is Ed Dulles, inventor of the Delta Toast, a stovetop alternative to the electric toaster. Welcome, Ed, to the Root Simple podcast. Well, Eric, it's it's a pleasure to be here, so thanks for having me. I wonder if you could tell a little bit about your background. You're in, uh, you're near Milan in Italy, but you're American. How did you end up in Italy? Well, in 1995, I came to Milan to get a, a business degree. I got an MBA at a, a school called Bocconi University. And it was my intention uh, when I signed up for that course to try to find work and and stay on and live in Italy afterwards. So um and it's turned out to be almost 20 years. So that that's sort of how it it began. Now you describe yourself as a refugee from the financial services sector. So I I take it you're no longer doing that or are you still in in that business? Yeah, I I I'm not really in that business anymore. Um I was working the, the job that I found in Milan right after I got my MBA in 96 was in um, mergers and acquisitions. So I was working for a small firm in Milan that does the intermediation for buying and selling companies. And that wasn't really by design. I'm not one of those sort of Alex P. Keaton type of young men who always dreamed of becoming an investment banker. I, I sort of happened into it because it was the one sort of, um, there, it was an area of work where somebody with my language skills and my educational background and so forth was was just a little bit in demand in Milan at the time. So that's, that's how I, I got into it. And then um, I then few years later, I started working for a, another very small uh, American broker-dealer that was more of an investment bank and did um, uh, IPOs and other um, securities offerings. But I was working for their, um, their very small Italy office, which was in Milan. And then that moved to Como, Italy, um, a little bit north of Milan. And um, that was all going pretty well until, you know, the, the financial crisis came along in 2008. And, um, you know, the, the, t- the tide started really shifting against this firm. And I, I knew in, in 2009 that the, the sort of the days were numbered uh, and the firm basically closed in 2011. And so I find myself you know, as a person with, you know, 15 years experience in investment banking, but really in a business which in Italy today is, is, is sort of getting extinct. Um, it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a line of work which has shed thousands of jobs in New York and in London, um, and, and it's been hit really even harder in Italy because Italy was always sort of a, a secondary or tertiary um, market for, for investment banking. Now, at a certain point, you decided to tackle a kind of an unusual problem, uh, which is toast and invent a non-electric toaster. I'm wondering yeah. how did you get that idea? And I, I take it this was after you, after, after the financial crisis, at some point you, you decided to become an inventor, essentially. Yeah, uh, it, it was mostly after. In a way, it kind of straddled the, um, the financial crisis. The, the the genesis goes all the way back to 2007, and 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 at that time I was working for this this broker dealer um, in 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 Milan, and things were going well work wise. But um, so Delta Toast is really another example of you know necessity is the mother of invention, and in my case it's two kinds of necessity. So the first kind is in 2007 I I wanted uh, a non electric toaster. And I couldn't find one. I couldn't find a decent one. And um, so that's sort of how the seed got planted. At the time, in 2007, I was living in a really small apartment. 
And the kitchen in this apartment was about the size of a kitchen on a sailboat. So really, really small. So it was just impossible to consider putting an electric toaster in there. Um, and so I thought, well, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll search around on Google and Amazon and see if there's a, a good, you know, um, stovetop toaster and I'll just buy it. And, and, but there wasn't one. So I, I just sort of put that thought in the back of my mind and, um, Start, started toying around in 2008. The 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 storm clouds of the financial crisis and meltdown. You know all the problems with the mortgage loans and all this. That, that, the clouds are really building up on the horizon. I could kind of tell that this small firm where I was working for, you know, it, it's going to get tossed around badly, beaten up badly by the waves of an economic storm. So I I started thinking more and more about well, what you know when 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 things really, you know, when this firm, you know, sort of goes under, you know, here in Italy, what am I going to do? Because, again, the, this financial services in Italy, this sector, my particular specialization, I mean, there's really no future for that in Italy. So I need to find something else to do. And I started thinking in 2008 and 2009, you know, what, 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 A, what do I want to do? Uh, and what should I do? And I knew that since I had always worked, you know, in sort of services where you don't make anything, you just, you know, you, you produce emails, you produce phone calls, you produce words. And, and, and I wanted to, you know, I, I knew back then already that, you know, it would be great to be able to, to produce something, something tangible, to be like a craftsman, to be able to take some pride in, you know, what, what, you, what you make. So I was, I already started thinking, back in 08 and 09 that I'd like to um, figure out if there's a way for me to make something, what, could, what, what might that be? And then I made the connection to, that, to, to a, a few years before that when I was looking for uh, a, a toaster. You know, and me, look, I'm, I'm a guy with, um, with an economics degree, so I'm not an engineer, I'm not a scientist. I never, you know, I think a lot of inventors maybe, you know, they're the kind of people that maybe when they were kids, they would, you know, sort of play around in their dad's garage and, you know, play around with electric motors and wires and stuff like that. That, that wasn't me. I wasn't that kind of person at all. So I had a lot, of, a lot of self-doubt about whether I was even capable of inventing anything. But it was clear to me that if I was going to, you know, make something or try to make something, it couldn't be complex. It couldn't be technological. It couldn't, couldn't be electrical. You know, it had to be simple. So that's why I kept thinking, going back to that toaster. And the other thing that I, I was really convinced about was that whatever it was that I was going to do regarding a physical product, I had to be the owner of it because it, it also seemed clear to me that in this world, in this day and age, you know, you really have to own it or, or, or it's not going to be a viable way of life. I mean, it, to me, it seems, Eric, that, you know, the idea that you can just sort of go work for a company and, and get paid a living wage and have a decent life. I mean, that, that, that just seems like a, a, ever more like a myth out of the past. So I wanted to, wanted this tangible thing to be something that, that I controlled. Did you have any other ideas for tangible things uh, at that time? Or was the toaster really the, the central one? At that time, the toaster was definitely the central one. Um, in the years since, uh, I have developed some other ideas for products, and, and they're in, some of them are even interesting. One or two others I've, I've attempted and, and abandoned because it just was clear that it doesn't work. But those other ideas, um, you know, I won't be able to take them on um, at least for a couple of years. Right now, I just don't have the, the time and the, and the financial resources. Now, there's a, a history to the non-electric toaster, and I wondered if you had some ideas or thoughts about some of the predecessors to, to what you came up with and, uh, and their advantages and disadvantages. Well, yeah. So in 2007, when I was looking around uh, at, at what is out there, and really most of, almost everything that's out there in, in terms of non-electric toasters are, are really camp toasters. They're, they're, they're designed for the most part to, for people 
who don't who, who don't have like energy concerns, right? They're just throwing this thing on top of a big pile of firewood out in the woods or something. So so energy efficiency isn't an issue for them. And what they all of them didn't have and which and that, which I couldn't understand was the fact that none of them held the bread in an up and down position like an electric toaster does and to toast both sides of the bread at the same time. None of them had that. And I, I didn't understand why because, you know, I look at a, a stove and I think, well, yeah, that thing's producing a, a lot of heat. I mean, certainly way more heat than you need to toast bread. So, I mean, you could toast a, a gallon of water on a stove. So why can't you toast a, a slice of bread um, quickly and, you know, on both sides at the same time? It, it must be possible. So... What I saw when I looked at the other um, non-electric toasters was that. And, and and where you are in Italy, there there is a, a non-electric toaster, too. It's one of the things when I was researching the, the topic that I came up with. I wonder if you could describe that device, that stovetop device, which is, for some reason... Um, Again, very ubiquitous when I was what I was looking uh, up non-electric toasters. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I actually I had been I saw that it's called a brustolina, um, a brustolina, and it's basically a square piece of stainless steel with some hole, perforated holes punched into it all throughout the bottom at sort of regular uh, uh, gaps. And then on top of that, there's a sort of a, a, a very thin grid of steel wires that creates a sort of second layer that keeps the, the, the bread from uh, sticking to the, the first layer of punctured steel. And actually, I had lived in Italy for probably 16 years before I ever set eyes on that. Um, so it's not in common use here in the north of Italy. I think it's more of a a central southern Italy thing. I first saw it in, in Tuscany, um, I don't know, maybe maybe four years ago. So, and and the Brustalina is, um, it's, a, it's a device. I have one in my kitchen. It's good for, um, it's good if you're making uh, bruschette, which I think in America everyone calls it brus- bruschetta. Uh-huh. So if you're making bruschetta, it's... Um, it's it's a, it's a it's pretty good at, at you know getting the the toast toasted up for that, but it leaves um, it doesn't it, it toasts in a very uneven way. These these the holes the perforations in the bottom leave tend to leave black sort of polka dots in in the bread, and where you don't have holes, it tends to be under toasted. So it's an uneven toasting, but but good enough for for um, for the bruschetta. So. You have this idea, you want to make a, a non-electric toaster that toasts on both sides, but you're, you, by your own admission, you're not, you're not a, someone who had had a lot of experience with making physical objects. How, how then did you go about fabricating and, and actually making the Delta Toast? <laughs> well, basically, in a Keystone Cops kind of way, I mean, it was, it's pretty, it's pretty, um, pretty funny, if not sad, the, my first attempts to, to do it. I, um, you know, my, my first idea of what it would be is nothing like what it is today. I basically thought, well, what would happen if I create a ceramic box, which is basically the same size and shape as an electric toaster, and I cut out the bottom of the box, so it's there's no bottom on the box. On the box, it's a five-sided box. But on the top, I put in two rectangular slots, like like you have on an electric toaster. And I thought, well, maybe if if I put this box um, made out of clay on top of a stove, and you know the stove produces so much heat. You know, gosh, there must be so much heat swirling around in there that if I lower a couple of slices of bread down in there, they'll get toasted, right? I thought, why not? Maybe that'll work. So, so I, I, I did up a sketch of what it would be, and I found, uh, you know, in, in the internet, some guy north of Milan in the foothills who has a little pottery shop, and he has his own little kiln. And I called him up on the phone, and he probably thought I was crazy. This weird American guy is calling me to make this um, 
box, you know. And so I um, I drove up there and saw him, and um, I you know I gave him the dimensions and everything, and and um, about three months later he 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 made it for me, um, and that's sort of one of the first lessons I learned about doing this kind of thing is that. Um, when you're trying to develop prototypes and new products, it's just hurry up and wait. It's just, it's really frustrating. You, you know, you, you end up calling these people like just once a week saying, did you do it yet? Did you do it yet? Oh no, I'm sorry. I forgot. Uh, maybe next week. Cause then I'll, you know, I'm going to fire up the kiln. So there's a lot of waiting, but, uh, when I got the thing back, I kind of, from him, I, I kind of looked at it and I thought, oh, I don't have a good feeling about this. And I brought it home. And I put it on the stove, turned it on, and I, you know, those sometimes toasters have these little um, pincer cages that you use to lower the bread down into the into the toaster. Mm-hmm. So I got a couple of those, lowered the bread down in, and it was, you know, it was a disaster. It was, you know, it was a joke. The, um, you know, the bread basically got burned and singed on the bottom, and not at all toasted on the top, and. You know, so after three months of waiting for this thing and, and, you know, asking myself if I was crazy and, you know, what am I doing and this is ridiculous, what are you, you know, toaster, what are you, what are you doing? I, um, I, I was ready to just, you know, toss the whole idea aside and, and, and try, to, try to figure something else out to do with my life. And so I, for, for a couple of days, I was, I was kind of dejected and I didn't, I was I had basically put put the idea to 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 bed in my mind but but then a few days later I I kept going back to the to the concept and I kept looking at myself and thinking but there's got to be a way to make this work and then I got the idea the the rough idea that that is this is what delta toast is today basically an object with a triangular form and a square base and that has a sort of a a slot in the middle that is able to hold the bread into a perpendicular position. So then I, I said to myself, well, look, you know, whatever you do now to try to get a prototype made, it's going to be, you're going to have to do a lot of running around and explaining and waiting thing, for things to get done. And, and you don't want to go through that experience again and have it be a total failure. So I thought, now I have to make some kind of a prototype by myself, you know, um, whatever, you know, I have to be able to somehow test this by myself at home to see if it works in principle before I'm going to, you know, jump, jump into that, uh, jump through that ringer again. So, so I sat down with some graph paper and I, I started sketching out what it would look like and, and, you know, sort of all the shapes that they would have to have. And I thought, how can I do this myself? I don't have an, I can't build anything out of steel here in my house. You know, what am I going to do? And so then I got the idea to uh, make it out of cardboard and, and aluminum foil. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I literally, I, I did my design on the graph paper and I figured out how many pieces it would be, what the shapes of each piece would be. And I literally got scissors and I cut, you know, a cardboard box and I started cutting out shapes and, um, and the the I knew that I would have to wrap these shapes in aluminum foil to be able to put it on a stove and 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 you know try to have it not catch fire. And so it was pretty 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 comical, really. I'm sitting there, you know, cutting out, uh, wrapping these sh- uh, cardboard shapes in aluminum foil and trying to you know give the foil little tabs at the ends so that I could connect one shape to the next and have it. You know, I even got paper clips out and, you know, the whole thing was just, if I had sneezed, they would have, sh- it would have blown apart. I mean, it was, just, it was pathetic. And so I, but I finally got this rough semblance of, of a Delta Toast um, out of cardboard and aluminum uh, foil and I put it on the stove and very gingerly, I, I kind of um, slide, a, to delicately put a slice of bread in there. And I turn on the flame, and I got my hand on the um, knob of the flame constantly, just turning it back down. Not because the thing is starting to smoke, and it, and then I'm I'm worried it's just going to catch flame right in front of my eyes. 
But within a within about thirty or forty seconds, I see that it's it's actually starting to toast the bread and not burn it, but to actually give it a kind of an even toasting. And I and that was a, a eureka moment. I thought, wow, you know, th- this could work. And so after that, um, then I, I started you know looking in the phone book for um, for for proper uh, steel workers or steel transformers to to. to to, that's when I started my long journey of um, working with different companies and and um, uh, trial and error and uh, to get uh, various you know steel prototypes built. In fact, the first person that I found uh, was this guy that right in my right in my town, literally uh, 100, 100, 200 yards from where I live. And it, is he the person you're still working with? No, um, I've worked now with four different companies that he, he was, he's not this guy that I went to in my town. He just makes things out of thick steel, like big valves and pipes and stuff like that. And I was surprised he even agreed to, to do a, 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 proto, a, a first sort of rudimentary prototype for me. I mean, I, I'd represented nothing to him in terms of business. He, he did it to me as because he's a nice guy and out of a favor. I mean, he asked me for, you know, fi- I think 50 euros for it. And, and he probably spent three or four hours working on it all together. I did have to wait, you know, two months to finally get it. But, but this thing was solid. It wasn't foldable in any way. It was just welded together. But it was made out of metal. So I could put it on my stovetop. And really test it out, like turn up the heat high and low and try different kinds of flame diffusers on the bottom to see which what worked better. Um, it, it was that first model that convinced me that if I then take it this to companies that work seriously in stainless steel, like companies that basically are known for making stainless steel kitchenware, that... And go through a really long and 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 then pay pay them real money to 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 build me prototypes that 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 would be worth it. And so, how long have you been going through this back and forth? Then, so you have the concept, you made it with the cardboard and the aluminum foil. You basically know the idea works, and now it sounds like there's this long process of back and forth between various prototypes. What was that like? How long did it take? And what are the things that you learned when you were doing that? Well, it was very frustrating, and it took uh, about an, a year and a half. And in some ways, it's still ongoing, um, although I would say 95% of that work is over. So my first thought was that, okay, now I need to go to a company which is specialized in stainless steel kitchenware. So I got I, I – got, uh, an old colleague of mine who has a database on Italian companies to give me a list of companies in Italy that that do that, and there are, there are negative sides to working in Italy with Italians, and then there there are also a lot of positive sides as well. One of the positive sides is that they tend to work slowly but produce quality. Like they take pride in what they do, and they want to you know they want to get it right usually. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, the other good thing about working in Italy is that. I mean, if you have to, I, there's probably no better place in the world in northern Italy in terms of having an abundance of of companies that work stainless steel to choose from. I mean, there's there's literally hundreds of them, maybe even thousands. I mean, it's um, so I was fortunate in that I, within you know a, the, a two hour car ride of where I live, I, I had many many companies that I could potentially work with. Of course, the problem is that most companies aren't going to be interested in working with some strange American guy to make prototypes because there's no money in making prototypes for them. Um, but I did manage to find a one of these specialists in, in kitchenware um, up up near where the famous Alessi company is uh, based, uh, north uh, northwest of Milan in the Lake District. Uh, I, I went up there and met with them, met with the owners, and they agreed to um, to work on me with with to, to develop a, a couple of prototypes. Uh, and I, I paid them a deposit, and they did some initial work, but they were going very very slow. I was having to call them constantly to ask them if they'd done anything, you know, the week prior, uh, and they they weren't. And I can understand why. I mean, they had a, 
a business to run and they had to, you know, and it was, it was, and it's con continues to be tough times in Italy. So, I mean, a lot of these businesses are worrying about survival and not on making some, you know, prototypes. So, but <clears throat> I finally had to, to just sort of move on, get rid of them and find another company. And so my next tactic was to say, all right, maybe the company doesn't have to be a specialist in stainless steel kitchenware. Maybe the important thing is that they're close to where I live so that I can sort of drop by more often and, and build more of a relationship because this other company, the first company I found, the one up in the Lake District, that was like, you know, an hour and a half away and it was it was a pain to, to, to have to go see him. It really limited how much I could contact I could have with them. So then I got lucky. I found a company that's literally a kilometer from where I live that has nothing to do with kitchenware, but everything to do with stainless steel. They make uh, mostly kind of industrial things like big shelving units or valves and flanges and this kind of thing. But fortunate, and I showed up uh, at their doorstep, uh, you know, one one afternoon, and I, you know, I met the owner right away, and and he was intrigued by the idea. I came <clears throat> with the with that first metal prototype that I had welded in my hometown, mm -hmm. and I came with a portable camp stove with a propane stove, and I set it up and I showed him th that it works, and he was actually intrigued, and he didn't. I think he didn't believe that it would be toasting this bread, this thing that I had in my hand. So this guy's name is Emilio. He agreed uh, to, to work with me to develop prototypes. <clears throat> that was the be the beginning of a, of a sort of a seven to eight month working relationship where I was really very frustrated a lot because I had in my mind that, okay, we would work together for m one or two months. He would produce maybe three or four prototypes. I would have what I needed and I could give him a production order and we'd be off, off to the races. And it didn't work out that way. It was, again, it was me having to constantly and very diplomatically, right? Because you can't, you can't ride up on your high horse and say, you know, where's my, where's my prototype? You know what I mean? It doesn't work. You know, you don't, you're, not, you're nothing to them economically. So, and I did finally have to, to move on to a, yet another company um, a little bit farther away from where I worked that is more responsive. Uh, Emilio's company... Uh, he he's really really talented, very creative guy, and he gave me a um, a major uh, design improvement for Delta Toast. So he's he's really I consider him the second designer of Delta Toast. Me, me and me and him together designed it, and he in fact is a partner of mine now. I I uh, gave him a, a stake in in the in the business. But even still, he didn't have the time to, 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 to work with me on it and, and definitely not to produce it uh, because his, he's just so, he's so full of work and so talented that he just couldn't give me any time. So I then moved to, to the company that I'm now working with who are, also, who are also very good and have also given me some very good suggestions for improving the design uh, and who also I have to constantly kind of call and, and politely ask if they, you know, started producing or if they could, you know, do me another prototype, that kind of thing. Now, a lot of inventors these days just go to Alibaba.com and they, you know, find a factory in Asia and, and do their invention that way. Did you consider that route? And why didn't you do that? Um, I think that would have been, I didn't really know. I, I think that would have been impossible. Um, you, particularly China, China has, um, Kind of a bad reputation here in Italy. I mean, just about any entrepreneur with a factory in Italy will tell you that they they steal your ideas. So there's a lot. I don't I don't know if that's true in all cases. I, I you know that's what everyone says. So there's a lot of fear um, uh, in that regard uh, towards China. But in in any case, it wouldn't have been possible in my, for for my project. It's just um, there was. It, when I started out, I just I knew way too little about, you know, what what it would ultimately be like. There was just too much sort of hands-on, you know, interaction. That need for face-to-face -face contact, and need to need for me to physic to, to just kind of ingratiate myself to these people because a lot of this work never would have been done if if I if they didn't 
both kind of like me and you know get personally intrigued by the by the concept. The funny thing about toast is it seems a lot more complicated than it does at first. I mean, you would think you could just hold a piece of bread over a fire. So maybe we should go back to the the invention you came up with ultimately the Delta Toast and describe how it works because it's not just a matter of holding toast over fire, right? It's a little it, there's more involved than that. Exactly. So Delta Toast the is the toaster for small kitchens. It's it's the toaster for people who don't have enough countertop space um to 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 have an uh, an electric toaster like as was my case uh, in in my apartment. So on the one hand, and and I also from the very beginning Im- imagined it for for people on boats and RVs, where where even storage space is a major concern. So I knew that it had to be collapsible and foldable up into a very small package, and I knew that it needed to work efficiently on a stovetop to toast both sides of the bread at the same time the way an electric toaster does. I thought, well, if I can get all of that together in one, in one package, then I'll, I'll have a winner. And so the way it works is on the bottom, there are flame diffusers or heat diffusers. And um, these, these are, you know, um, on either side of the um, unit. So the, the Delta Toast is basically two sides that come together And on each side, there's a rectangular flame diffuser. And the flame diffuser converts the flame into infrared rays. Okay? Those rays bounce off the the, um, inside walls of Delta Toast and then, you know, then land on the bread and toast it. And there's a couple of... So um, stainless steel is stainless because it's covered by a very thin atomic layer of chromium oxide that's what that's what chromium oxide is what makes stainless steel stainless and resistant to rust well it turns out that chromium oxide is also very good at reflecting infrared um, radiation and which is great for delta toast so the steel is i mean delta toast wouldn't work unless it were made out of steel and the flame diffusers um, right now are made out of, um, well, let's say in the first batch, the first generation of product that I made, they're made out of um, stainless steel wire mesh, which are also pretty pretty darn good at producing um, infrared or basically converting flame into infrared. I think in the future, though, the flame diffusers are going to be made out of tin, like, you know, the old tin can because it turns out that a tin is even m- more efficient than s- steel mesh in converting flame into infrared. So it reminds me a little bit of the safety bicycle, which, as I understand it, was more a metallurgical problem than it was a form problem. In other words, getting the the chain of the bicycle to be flexible was was the innovation rather than the, the ended up the shape of it. So that that. So I, I assume you had to, to delve into metallurgy to figure this out, and I'm wondering if you anticipated that before you went in. Well, that's a, that's a really good question, and, and actually it was serendipity. I, 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 mean, I mean, like I said, you know, I started out with this dumb, totally kooky, you know, clay box. I mean, so that's, that's how clueless I was at first. And I, I, when, I just, when I decided that it, the thing was going to have to be made out of Metal, I just, you know, stainless steel was the natural candidate because if you think about other stuff you have in your kitchen, a lot of it's made out of stainless steel. Um, And I knew that I wanted it to be, you know, dishwasher safe and all that. So it was just like dishwasher, the stainless steel was basically the, um, you know, by default. And only later I just got curious and I I was looking it up on the internet and I I learned uh, through research that it, that, Stainless steel has this thing called chromium oxide, and chromium oxide turns out to be very efficient in reflecting IR. Now, some people would call this project kind of quirky. You know, the the electric toaster is is ubiquitous. Why, why, why proceed with this project? Well, because first, first off, because I wanted one. I had 
Um, I keep going back to my small kitchen. I love toast. I think it's the best breakfast there is, you know, on a day in and day out basis. And I, I, you know, there was no toaster for me. And I figured, well, am I not, am I the only guy with a small kitchen, you know, in the world? How many small kitchens are there in the world? I mean, hundreds of millions. Now, many of those people don't care about toast, and so they don't need a toaster, but you know, think about all the boats, think about all the RVs, think about all the townhouses and, and, um, and, uh, now, now tiny houses are a movement, you know, and, and I think that there's, that's going to be a big movement for the future, you know, 20, 50 years from now, there's going to be a lot more tiny houses in the world for a lot of good reasons. So you can, yeah, you know, can you use a, a camp toaster, in a small kitchen like a boat or a, or a tiny house, yeah, you can. But Delta Toast is better because it's it's made um, from the beginning, designed from the beginning for that for that use for that function. We met because I tried to fix my toaster, my electric toaster. Opened it up, kind of had it. My epiphany was seeing how wasteful and ridiculous this object is, and how much more complicated it is than I think people really realize. And I had, this was after I'd even seen uh, the TED Talk by designer Thomas Waits about trying to build a toaster from scratch. And I wondered if you had any thoughts about the electric toaster and if, you know, other than you, you, you mentioned this, the tiny house movement, maybe there's a little more to this than simply saving counter space. Maybe the Delta Toast is a response is maybe you can uh, speak to this if it's a response to a overly complicated perhaps industrial culture of you know basically cheap crap from china absolutely absolutely no question about it i um uh it's it, it, and also just as a parenthetical mention it's also a response to to how much of a pain in the neck it is to clean an electric toaster if you've ever had to do that you know there's sort of usually when you get around to it there's one year of encrusted crumbs you know that it sort of you know sort of bake themselves onto the bottom of that little tray thing and they find and they wind their way all the way up into the into the to the guts of the of the toaster but um absolutely i mean i I think one of the neatest things about all of this would be that if if my grandkids, if I ever have them, <laughs> were to know that somebody is using, uh, you know, fifty years later, you know, a Delta toast, you know, that their their grandpa had in, invented, and that you know, fifty years later, the thing that that came out of a factory in two thousand and fifteen works exactly the same. 50 years later, it's, um, there's basically no moving parts. Uh, you know, it can't, it can't really wear down. I mean, it's, uh, I think that's one of the, the great things about it. The idea that this thing is, could, could, could be useful and f functioning, uh, as well as, as when it was brand new, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, that's great. If we, ha if we don't have to throw something into a landfill, that's great. If it, if it can be something that gives utility and satisfaction uh, to, to people down the line, I, I think that's one of the best things about it. And, and I also, uh, I think it's aesthetically uh, beautiful. And, and the idea that somebody might, you know, for a few seconds, look at that, look at that object in their house and get a little, little moment of, of satisfaction, of aesthetic satisfaction, I, I, mean that, I think that's great. Did the aesthetics come out of the design process or did you were you thinking about the aesthetics before it it got its final shape that's a good question you know i was only thinking about aesthetics you know from the beginning i was only thinking about aesthetics in in a general way like you know i want this to, to at the end i want this to look as handsome as it can so we'll, we'll try to be careful about details and all that but the actual basic form of it, the, 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 the way it sort of opens up like a stepladder, that was, that was not intentional. That was just a, a, a natural consequence of seeking performance in, in, in the object. And um, I mentioned before that Emilio uh, became my partner. He, that, his, 
that's his sort of great contribution was is is this opening mechanism the way it opens like a stepladder because what I had drawn on um, on the graph paper for him was was the the same shape of the object when it's open in the open position but I had it closing down folding down uh, in a kind of clumsy and also very expensive way it would have been very expensive to produce it would have been a folding down the wall the sides of, of the thing would have been folding down kind of the way if you have a cardboard box and you know how the four um, lids on the box they sort of overlap and interlock when you fold them down it would have been kind of like that and so it wouldn't have been nearly as elegant and easy and um, it would have been much more expensive as well. Speaking of expense, will the Delta Toast always be more expensive than an electric toaster, or do you anticipate it will be less expensive in the future? Well, today it's it's more expensive than a lot of elect, electric toasters, and it's less expensive than a lot of uh, elect, electric toasters as well. Um, I, I see an average on Amazon of... Um, I don't know in the, in the fifty to sixty dollar range, but and I, and I understand that most people aren't buying the the expensive ones. Most people are buying, I guess, in the I, I guess in the twenty to forty dollar range. But yeah, having said that, yeah, my my goal is absolutely to get the cost down. I I would much rather have ten times the unit the the toasters out there in this world and have let's say you know, less profit or, you know, two thirds the profit or half the profit. Um, that's more of a satisfaction knowing that the, 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 some, the, the thing you created is, is out there than, you know, having a little, a few more dollars. Um, the problem with the expense of Delta Toast is that it's really expensive to make. If right now I'm, uh, I'm selling it for $55 on Amazon and if you think about those $55 as a pie, the biggest slice of that pie goes to the manufacturer, okay? The next biggest slice of that pie goes to Amazon, and then I get, I get the, the smallest slice. So it's just really expensive to make. Um, you know, the Italian factory workers make a living wage. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of manual operations in assembling the toaster, a lot of rivets, there's a lot of welding points, um, and all the bends that you see. So the, all the, the sheet steel is cut by a laser, okay? And laser time is really expensive. People wouldn't believe how expensive it is, but it's, it's the most expensive component of the manufacturing. In addition, all the bends you see in the metal, every, every little bend, uh, is um, an, um, a worker standing in front of a huge press with these sort of um, very computer-controlled press, you know, hand-folding it, basically. So that's why it costs so much. And uh, I would love, uh, with, you know, in, in a few years' time to be to the point where I could make a, a huge investment in dyes, but it's a lot of money. I and mean, we're talking like... I've heard everywhere from like 50 to 100 grand to make these dies, uh, at which point uh, you can just, you know, stamp the, 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 the toaster parts out like a cookie cutter, you know, and, and, it become, and, the, and the, the, the per unit cost goes way, way down, right? You don't need to cut anymore with the laser. Most, I, I think, I guess all of the, uh, the, the bending would be done automatically by the dies. And so you'd be left with just a, a, a just the just the rivets and 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 some of the welding uh, to, to to put the thing together. So, but that's going to be years off before I can contemplate that kind of investment. Now, are you also working on kind of a version two point of the Delta Toast? Are there some other ideas you have? I do have uh, some other ideas. Um, the the. The first change that's going to come is again. I'm going to change the um, the heat diffusers, which are now uh, stainless steel wire mesh with tin. And what that'll do is, t since tin produces more infrared than steel mesh per unit of, say, flame input, that'll reduce the toasting time by probably around 
15 to 20%. So speed up the toasting a little bit and it'll um, also allow, allow for toasting with an even lower flame, average flame level. So that's good. Um, and by the way, I mean, right now I'm, I'm consistently toasting in two minutes, 40 seconds uh, with the steel mesh. So, and that's about what a, uh, an electric toaster takes. So the time is not an issue. So I think, so that's, that's the first change that I'm going to do. And then after that, um, I want, I, I'm thinking about making a longer unit so that you can get two square standard square shapes, standard square uh, bread slices in at the same time, so a sort of a longer stretch model. Um, I'd like to make a model out of that kind of copper, you know, those French copper cookware, you know, that sort of, I, I like the look of that copper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, I could make some sort of, I don't know, deluxe units out of that, so it's, so it's aesthetically, you got the copper look on the outside, but there's steel on the inside, so you get the same uh, reflectivity. So I'd like to do that, something like that. And, and another thing, um, there's, a, there's a process that you can use to etch images onto stainless steel. Uh, it's basically like an acid etching. And it works, basically you have a printer where you can basically upload like a JPEG file. And, it, and it'll print the negative of the image out onto a, this, like, a, like a film. And you take that film cut it and then you put it on top of the steel and then wash wash over that with some acid and you get you get an image so i could i could uh, cut, sell customized delta toast so you know like for instance people with boats often like to put images or the name of their boat on things like towels or coffee mugs or whatever people could could pay a little extra money and put their babies face on their Delta Toast or their boat or their, or their cabin or their favorite quote from Shakespeare or whatever, whatever it is. You know, funny thing about that is I, I just saw an electric toaster that actually you can send an image of yourself and it will imprint that on the inside of the toaster. So you have an image of yourself in, on the toast. So I don't think that's possible with the Delta Toast, but you could have one that say generates the Virgin of Guadalupe or something on every piece of toast. <laughs> I don't Anyways, um, if um, people want to pick up a Delta Toast, where should they go and where should they go for more information of, about the Delta Toast? Um, thanks. Yeah, they can go to uh, Amazon.com in the USA uh, to buy it. And uh, in the UK and in the European Union, uh, the 26 countries that uh, Amazon U. Amazon.co.uk serves. They, they can purchase it there as well in Europe. And for more information on the product, um, they can go to deltatoast.com. And um, there's um, photos and, and there's also um, a 80-second demo video so they can see the uh, Delta Toast in action. And looking back on the whole process, do you have any advice for DIYers who maybe want to take uh, an invention to market? Uh, yeah, I would say just, you know, be prepared for the fact that, um, you know, unless you're, what's that character's name, Tony Stark, the, the Iron Man. Uh, <laughs> right. Tom, right. Or Elon unless, Musk or someone like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Unless you're a billionaire with every possible machine and laboratory and tool and, and resource that you could possibly need and you have it and you control it and you can, you know, get it working instantly. Um, and yes, you're like that. You're going to have to prepare yourself uh, for a lot of waiting, a lot of um, being the sort of the, the, the lowest priority on the list of the people that you need to, uh, to, to do things for you. Um, trial and error, frustration. Um, but um, don't, don't um, think that you can't do it. Don't think that um, because you've never done something like this before that that means you can't or I'm not an engineer or, you know, um, I'm not a scientist or I'm not good at math or anything like that. That's, that's bogus. Um, if you have an original idea and you keep thinking about it, you keep going back to it, it keeps making sense, you know, then, then go for it. Particularly if you're not doing it to make 
money like you because you you may well not ever you know uh make enough to to earn back your investment who who knows but if you're doing it because it's going to give you some satisfaction that you've actually brought something into this world but then then absolutely do it well i think that's a good place to conclude thank you ed for being on the root simple podcast well thank you eric it's it's a it's a real pleasure for me I, i'm a fan of your your work and um you know just thanks for having me likewise i'm a big fan of the delta toast and thank you for sending us one to to try that was ed dulles inventor of the delta toast I alluded to how I met Ed in the podcast, but I thought I'd explain in more detail. Our electric toaster broke, and I attempted to fix it. In that attempt, I discovered the complexity of electric toasters and their fatal flaw. It's really easy for a piece of bread to break the heating element when you're trying to toast it in an electric toaster. All it takes is for that one little scrap of bread to kind of come loose from the metal cage it's surrounded in. And, well, sometimes you can fix this, but most electric toasters, like a lot of other things, are not made to be opened up and fixed. Once broken, they become trash. Ed's Delta Toast is easy to understand and repair. There's no electronics. There's no fragile parts. I hope we see more inventors taking things back to basics like Ed has, making solid, long-lasting products, and, like Ed, making sure that the workers who build them make a living wage. To leave a question for the Root Simple podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment for us in the iTunes store. We're also available on Stitcher. And you can support the Root Simple podcast by buying a copy of one of our books through the Amazon links on our website. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening.